This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, welcome to The Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin. I am Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm very well. I love that dance we do. Yeah. (laughs) And I am always impressed, especially at nine in the morning, that she can go that high. That is one soprano who knows her stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's happening in your garden this morning? What's going on? sleepy at my end of the world uh we did get snow and it is pretty chilly i think it's about minus 16 right now so we're white with little more more little flakes coming down uh funny funny winter warm mild (laughs) cold really cold yeah it's been the same here it's it's, i i've said that it's been doing this dance on either side of zero all winter long it you know it's gonna yeah just we we get the snow we lose the snow we get the snow we lose the snow we have quite a bit up here now uh in the collingwood area yeah the ski hills are in great shape and uh we're sitting at only about minus 10 this morning not as cold as you balmy yeah, it is. It is balmy. Okay, let me give. I know you have an announcement, but I want to give those numbers out uh, because we'd love for you to give us a call with any questions of regarding indoor gardening or outdoor gardening. Uh, and if you live in Toronto, the number is four one six three six zero zero seven forty, or toll free anywhere outside Toronto. It's toll free anywhere in the province of Ontario one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And uh, do let Carlos know if you're a first-time caller. He will let us know, and I will give you your garden wings. And, of course, we want you to call often. We want you to call early, please, please. And one question per call. Okay, what is your announcement? You said you got something to tell us about. I do. And actually, I just <clears throat> realized I have two announcements. Just want to remind everybody about CD Saturday coming up on March the 4th in London. So it's the London Middlesex Master Gardeners presenting CD Saturday all day, 10 till 3 at the Carling Heights Community Centre in London. They've got some great speakers. They've got a great seed swap going on. Uh, Vendors, garden clubs, um, apparently yummy food and drinks, all for only a $5 cash admission. So do go there if you can on the 4th. And then just a, a reminder as well that March the 8th, I will be Zooming with the Riverdale Horticultural Society. Um, my topic is sexy soil, and everybody's excited about that. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. I, I want to hear more about sexy soil before the show is out. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> but for the time being, we're, uh, I, we just have to pause. We have to hear some important messages, but we will be right back with much more here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. 
Oh, yeah. Here we are back with the Garden Show and raring to go. And the lines are open. I uh, got lots of room in the lines. 416-360-0740. Give us a call. That's the Toronto number. Or the toll-free number if you live outside Toronto, anywhere in the province of Ontario. Give us a call. one 740 4740 Charlie has got her, uh, I call it your, your like Sherlock Holmes gardening cap on. You know? <laughs> and so you're ready to, uh, you know, hear your issue and figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and sometimes people share good tips as well. So remember, it's not all about what's wrong in your garden, but what's maybe right in your garden. Uh, and, you know, this snow will melt. Spring will come. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's, it, we're, I feel like we're on the cusp of, you know, the next season. So I, I'm sure there's lots going on. I know I'm just itching to get dirty. I am as well, but I have to say that because the snow has come and gone this season, every time it snows now, I, I think I keep thinking that this is this is so important for the plants to have this. It feels like a like a blanket, you know, like it's just like a like it's important for them to have that sleep, I guess. But exactly. The snow does help keep plants dormant, which is what we want at this time of year. And, you know, think about it, right? Go down to the microscopic level on it. What is snow? Snow are little tiny, tiny, tiny flakes of ice. But each of those flakes, as we know, is an individual with amazing shapes. And in between all those little prongs of ice is air. And it's actually the air that's doing the uh, so-called insulating for the plants. Uh, so it is a good thing. We do like that. It's not so much of a blanket to keep plants warm. It's more just insulation to protect plants from extremes, right? You know, we've seen some huge temperature swings in 24-hour in periods multi-times this winter, which is very hard on the flora and the fauna. Mm-hmm. And do you, in your opinion, do you think that that's going to, do you have any idea whether that may or may not affect what the what the bloom season looks like because of the fluctuation? Is it hard? It must be hard to say. Well, yeah, it's hard to say for sure, but generally speaking, plants are pretty smart. They, they've gone through this before. So they are able to start to poke above ground. A little bit of green starts to come up on a mild day, and then it gets cold, and the plant just stops. Now, you might end up with a little bit of frost burn on those little tips that emerge, like daffodil leaves, for example. I know several people have bulbs that have emerged above ground. So you might see a little bit of frost damage, but you should still see the full glory of the flowers once we get into consistent warmth. Okay, gotcha. Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have um, I have Astrid on the line, and she is calling from Fenland Falls. Welcome to the Garden Show, Astrid. Yes, good morning. Good and morning. Thank you, for, for, thank you for taking my call. I have Our a hibiscus. Hello? Go ahead. I have a hibiscus plant in a pot about uh, 13 inches in diameter and about the same in height. I've had it for five years in the same pot, and I bring it always inside before the frost. Well, right now, it does not look very happy. The leaves, they shrivel. And uh, I don't really know why. I watered it regularly but sparingly in the winter. Uh, what can I do? Um, <clears throat> well, if you've been successful for five years, I wonder what's different this year. Any drafts, perhaps? No, no draft. Okay. And um, lots of light? Yeah. 
It's uh, pretty. Yeah, it, it it has a good spot and it gives it gets uh, pretty a lot of light. And yeah. I was thinking maybe it's time for me to transplant it in a slightly bigger pot. You could um, double check that it's not an issue of too much water. Sometimes when leaves go limp. It can be one extreme or the other, too much water or not enough water. So just, you know, stick your fingers in the soil and clarify that. If you can tilt the pot over, I'm assuming the pot has drainage holes. So tilt it over, see if roots are growing out of the drainage holes. If they are, that is an indication that, yes, it's probably root bound after five years. Hibiscus are, are very vigorous plants. They tend to have lots of roots. Um, if you give it a bigger pot, which is an option, right, you can go up to a 14-inch or maybe if you can even find a 16-inch pot, you can do that with fresh potting soil. Keep in mind, though, the plant is going to get bigger. Like, have, if you have yeah. room for the plant to be that big, then give it a bigger pot. Otherwise, yeah. uh, what I would do, and I've done this before with hibiscus, because, you know, you want to keep them happy, but you don't really want them taking over the whole house, is... Tilt it down, you know, onto newspaper, get it out of the pot, take a look at the roots, and you get out a, a butcher knife or a saw, and then you saw a bunch of roots off of the, the root, if it's a really, you know, solidly root-bound plant, chop yeah. off a lot of the outer roots. Meanwhile, you wash the pot that it was in, give that a scrub, yeah. get some fresh soil into that pot, get that, that plant back into the same pot, <clears throat> but with fewer roots, and room for some nice fresh soil. And usually, yeah. um, generally, the plant will respond very positively to that experience. Yeah, and w what kind of uh, soil would I use? If I, I would just if use I... yeah, a regular potting mix. You'll see lots out there now because we're getting into that gardening season. So you're seeing the big bags, all the, the garden centers, the Costco's, everybody's got the big, you know, 30, 50, 70 liter bags. So just get a good quality. Um, you know, again, it's one of those things you get what you pay for. So go for one of the, you know, miracle Grow makes great um, soil mixes, ProMix, great uh, mixes. So there's lots out there. Just make sure it is a potting mix, not garden soil. Okay. Well, okay. thank you so much for your uh, time. And I love your show, and I enjoy it every Saturday. <laughs> thank you for calling. Great. Thanks, Astrid. Yeah. So, I was going to say it sounds like it needs uh, some of that sexy soil that you were talking about there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go well, ahead. But keep in mind there's a difference between sexy soil and potting mix. Because <laughs> actually all the potting mixes that we buy now in the bag have no soil in them at all. Ah, oh, okay. So no soil at all. It's just it, potting mixes. Would that it's be all based on peat moss and yep. vermiculite and perlite? Um, so that's why it's so important to recognize the difference. You know, when we buy a bag of potting mix, it is completely sterile. It should have no life in it whatsoever. It also has virtually no nutrient in it. Nutrient in it. It is strictly a media to anchor the plant, to give the root something to grow in so it can stand up in the pot. That's why uh, fertilizing is so important. And I didn't mention fertilizer to Astrid, but we are at that time of year where it's important to think about fertilizing. It's, you know, March is around the corner. And I always use March as my sort of beginning date to start fertilizing through until September. So even if it's once a month, you know, mixed according to directions, uh, hibiscus, in case of hers, would probably love a dose of fertilizer. Okie dokie. Okay, we have to take our next break, but when we come back, we'll have much more right here on The Garden Show.
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And we're back here on the Garden Show, and we have some callers on the line. Uh, let's get right to that. Uh, we're going to North York now. We've got Maureen on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Maureen. Good morning. Good morning, Dean. Good, good morning, Charlie. It's like being in a snow globe here right now. And Is it? Like yes, a snow globe. <laughs> it's all coming down. I'm looking out the big window. and I'm glad I'm inside and not outside. But um, my question is about pussy willows. Always around this time of the year, I look forward to getting a nice big bouquet of pussy willows. I just love them. And usually what I do is I try to prevent the leaves from coming out. I just put a little tiny bit of water to give, like, humidity. But I was wondering, and I hope this isn't a dumb question, if I left them leaf, would they grow, would they get, would I get roots? Would I be able to plant them? Yes. Yes, and that is not a dumb question. No, definitely. You uh, treat pussy willow stems just like you would treat a cut flower bouquet, so a clean vase, fresh water, and they will grow roots pretty quickly. I've had them grow roots when I, you know how you use pussy willows inside of a, an outdoor planter in the spring with, you know, some bulbs and some, you know, eastery sort of um, joy into a pot and you jam some pussy willow stems in. They'll grow roots in the, in the pot as well. And then you can transplant onto your property if you've got a big property because pussy willow shrubs get very large. Oh, they get very large, eh? Well, I'll, I'll put uh, it in the, a corner where I don't usually plant very much. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, we control the size because we go in and cut them down every spring just for the same reason you're talking about, is how much we love having them in the house and outside the house. So you can control a pussy willow to some extent, but they do grow about three feet a year. Oh, okay. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Appreciate it. Love your show. Look forward to to coffee and the garden show every Saturday. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. Um, Charlie, you uh, actually, Maureen, reminded me of an email that you got that I want to want to bring up to, to order here. And it's from Irene. And Because she cut into a tomato this week. She sent you some pictures. She found a great surprise in t- inside. Uh, she found a whole bunch of seeds inside the tomato that were all rooting. Right. And so uh, they were all sprouting. And so, A, she wasn't sure whether she should eat the tomato. (laughs) And the the other thing she was wondering is if these could be planted. And so, again, like it looks to me like, my goodness, she's got scores of little seedlings that are that are sprouting and doing their thing inside the tomato. And uh, so uh, so what what how do you weigh in on this? It's great. Actually, uh, Irene sent some great photos. Number one, don't be afraid to eat a tomato where the seeds are growing inside. It's all perfectly edible. None of it will hurt you whatsoever. Um, but it, it is kind of surprising when it happens. And I think we've all seen one or two seeds germinate inside the tomato. But she literally has, you know, 150. So it's quite the quite an, an amazing sight. Just so you know. logically, the question should be, why don't seeds sprout inside a tomato? It seems kind of perfect. It's nice and moist. It's dark. Uh, Temperature is nice, you know, room temperature. Why don't the seeds sprout all the time? Well, tomatoes naturally produce a chemical that inhibits 
the germination of the seeds inside the tomato. And in this case, obviously, this particular tomato neglected to make that chemical and <laughs> all the seeds are growing. So bottom line, don't worry about eating it. Enjoy it. Uh, she wondered about trying to plant some. And I said, well, you can go ahead and try planting them. You know, you've got to get out some nice moist seed mix, you know, a, a soil that's not just a, a, a potting soil, but actually a seed starting mix. Nice and moist with the um, tweezers. You know, she's going to have to pick out all those little seedlings and just stand, you know, just basically lay them on the surface of the soil. The roots will go down. Um, it is a bit early to start tomatoes. I'm not starting my tomato seeds yet. It's still February. So I, I, the main thing is if you are going to be starting any baby tomatoes now, make sure you've got some grow lights or really, really bright window somewhere where these plants can grow inside until we're frost free. So that's the one important thing is tomatoes, they can really take off on you. I mean, we're not putting them outside for a couple of months and they can be two feet tall by that time. Okay. And so you, and you don't want them to be that tall uh, when you oh, transplant them. Well, no, ultimately you do want them to be that tall. So there's an advantage to having them that big before they go out. But it's okay. a lot to, to work with. You need a lot of room and a lot of light. Otherwise, they'll just be thin and they'll be falling over and, you know what I mean, like from lack of light. So you want them stout and solid and green and, and it's lights that are going to make the difference there. Okay, gotcha. Okay, let's uh, let's go to our next caller. We have uh, we're going to Toronto now. We have Hildy on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Hildy. Hello. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Oh, good. I got to. Uh, so yeah. nice to be on this call. I listen to it every Saturday, like your other callers. Every Saturday morning, you're on my radar. <laughs> so uh, I heard Charlie say I've got two things, um, but really the most important I think is the. The sexy soil question I have, <laughs> which I'm thinking, uh, Riverdale Hort Society, I'm going to come and um, attend there. I'm not a member, but I, I will find out and go when she's there next week, right? Yeah, it's March the 8th, uh, Hildy, and I will uh, announce to everybody how to join in on the Zoom event. At okay. this point, I don't even know exactly what time it is. It's probably it's either 7 or 7.30 on March 8th, and I, um, I'll double-check on the break here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you can just email, and I'll give you the email address before we finish the show today as well. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it's on Zoom because that means uh, we may have snow. I don't want to drive around, so good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the uh, sexy soil question I have today, because I can't wait, uh, you know when we had the warm weather a couple of three days uh, last week, I started getting antsy about the compost. I create so much vegetable and uh, fruit compost in my kitchen on a daily basis, and I've been dropping it down the chute all winter, but I'm anxious to get it into my allotment garden. I have some composters there. They need to be emptied out because they're finished. But I want to start collecting it again. And I've told you, I took oh, quite a heavy, heavy. I have to take my shopping cart in there to haul it in. But it's in plastic bags because the composters have to be emptied. So is there any way to um, sort of do it inside? Not really. I don't want to. But how, how do I do it in the winter? How would you do it in the winter if you have a lot of compost? <clears throat> Okay, so it's, yeah, everybody's different what they've got sort of access to. Mm. Back when, when I lived in Richmond Hill, um, prior to moving to where I live now, I had four composters in my yard. Three mm. of them were 
kind of far from the back door and one was right at the back door. And the one at the back door was strictly for the winter because that was, you know how you're just not going to go out too far yeah. with your, your uh, you know, coffee grounds in the middle of winter. But if it's handy, you will. So I always every fall would prepare by emptying the one that was right at the back door, filling the ones that were not at the back door for the winter. And then that way, all winter, I could just pop all my mango peels and bananas and all that stuff into the close by one. If you don't have a receptacle to drop all your stuff into in the winter, you could, I mean, yeah, again, it kind of depends. A dark green plastic bag can act like a composter in the winter. And some people I know also will just take all their bits of vegetables and fruits. And if you have a freezer that's big enough, they'll just bag up daily all their little bits and pieces, stick them in the freezer. And once they've collected a bunch of this frozen vegetable and fruit matter, take it all out and dump it in the composter at that point. But I think the main thing is you have to have a receptacle ready to go in the fall to take your stuff either throughout the winter or early in the spring. Um, so that's probably your biggest challenge right now is emptying one of those composters so you can fill it again. But I would, you know, just hold it in a green garbage bags unless there's an issue around mice. And, and you know what I mean? There's always the little varmints that might get really excited. Though, I mean, mice used to make nests in my composters all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do that in the allotment garden. There are little varmints there, but uh, uh, I just pray that, okay, they don't smell it and they don't come around, but they probably will, and I don't want—I hate to see it strewn all over. So as soon as we get warm weather, as soon as I can move that compost out, the finished compost, I will be doing that. You had pre-planned your composting um, thing. I did think about it because I'm getting old now, and I thought, oh, I might not. I might not keep this garden, but I can't. I can't give it up yet. So yeah, yeah, and, and keep help. in mind the mice won't eat the stuff in the compost. They're they're not interested in eating banana peels. What they're using it for is the warmth, because mm. all that's it's all decomposing, and as it decomposes, this is where soil starts getting sexy. Um, yeah. As it decomposes, it's biology, and it is a um, it's a reaction, and it provides it produces heat. And that heat is what attracts the little varmints to nest in the composters. What you need is a cat <laughs> because the cats, <laughs> the cats know that the mice are in there and they'll just sit outside the composter and wait for the mice to come out. And as they come out, they just catch them one at a time. <laughs> I'm picturing that. Yeah, that is cute. Yeah, I've seen a cat uh, uh, inside just knows there's a mouse in the fireplace and just sitting there, sitting there. And she actually got it. She played with yeah, it for a long time. Very, they can be very patient cats. And it's they just in their DNA. Very good. Okay. Um, well, and uh, another soil, uh, sandy soil. How do I get, because they're all not, um, I have a plant that it's a Senecchio crassissimus and it likes sandy soil, of course. But uh, I, I, I tried with some soil one time and, uh, I don't know. It went clay hard. It went really hard, the sandy. I mixed sandy and um, something else. So I don't know. How do you get sandy soil for succulent plants? Uh, so, yeah. The so the, the well? challenge with sandy soil is it depends on what kind of sand. So you've got play sand, which is the stuff we buy to put in the, the sandbox for the kids. And it's yeah. very, very fine. Um, it's almost like dust. 
And then there's horticultural sand, which is a much bigger grains. So there's there, there's gravel in there and there's large grains of sand. And that's what you need if you're going to try and produce a well-drained soil is you need horticultural sand, avoid play sand. It's way too fine of a, of particles. So, you, you know, you, you chunky. Uh, I've been known to add gravel to my clay soil back in Richmond Hill just to try and break up the clay and provide some drainage. So the bigger the particle sizes you can add to a clay soil, the better the drainage. And remember, organic matter of any kind always helps, like your compost or, you know, your um, compost manure that you buy in a bag. Yeah, yeah. Where do I get horticultural sand? Where can you, you should get- be able to get that at a garden center. Uh, okay. Or even in the spring, you should be able to get it at the Home Depots and, and the, the home stores. Okay. Uh, I guess okay. I yep. used clay sand because mine went, it must have been fine. It went like cement. It's been in you the plants. Plants are growing in it. These are house plants I'm talking about now, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. mostly succulents. But, but yeah. I think I could do better because I want to repot them soon. Okay. okay, thanks for the call there, Hildy, uh, and all the best with it. Yeah, with your compost and such. Um, sneaking in those extra questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to Midland now. Yeah, we have uh, Joanne on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Joanne. Oh, what we lost, Joanne. So let's go to uh, Wilma, in the town of Holstein, which is I think just north of Mount Forest. Is that right? Welcome to the Garden Show, Wilma. Yes, it is. Um, I'm and wondering how's the about, snow there, Wilma? Well, how much snow you got? Um, oh, we've got about six or eight inches maybe on the level. And it's mm. snowing fine stuff right now, but yeah, not but bad for a winter. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on in your garden, Wilma? Well, not much in my garden, but I'm contemplating... Um, starting some petunias. Is it too early or now? Now. If now. anything, it might be too late. Yeah, I wondered <laughs> that. <laughs> I just came Jackie, across them in the freezer the other day, and that's what spurred me, but I'm wondering if it is too late, yeah. Petunias from seed, right, we're talking? Yes, it's it, they're seeds, yes. Um, you know, I would still give it a try, but I would do it today. Uh, I know that with geraniums, as an example, we want to get those seeds planted like at Christmas. So many and begonias as well. So I'd have to just uh, like look up petunias, but I would for now get them in the get them in the ground or get those seeds into some soil, you know, with some heat below. I find my seed germination is so much better with a, a very um, low, low heating pad beneath, you know, with a towel in between. You know, you don't want it too hot, but just providing that bottom heat speeds uh-huh. up germination phenomenally. Would would they stay in, could they stay in the freezer for, till next year? Uh, again, I'm not sure because all seeds are different. They all react differently to um, different, um, you know, just different. Yeah. They're species specific. All right, let me check. Let me check. Uh, I'll, I'll report back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Wilma. Thanks. Yeah, I guess, are there... Are there? We're talking about seeds sprouting, and you know, tomatoes is too early, and uh, you know, and and other ones, petunias is too late, and geraniums is way, 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 way too late. So, is there a good place to to check, or how do you figure out which seeds you should start when? 
And I guess it depends on where you live. Partially. Also, remember, the seed packages will, will usually tell you uh, on, on you know, when to get them started. Keeping in mind that the seed packages are either British or American. Yeah. So you have to do the sort of okay. modify for, for your own brain. But but you know what? I remember talking about this. I'm going to show you. See this? This is the Gardener's Journal. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's an actual book. The Toronto and Golden Horseshoe Gardener's Journal. It's put out every year around Christmas time. You can still get them, uh, you know, TBG online. This is the 31st edition. But the reason I'm bringing it up is they have this cool little calculation. It's the the um, last frost date, the average last spring frost date cal calculator. So what you do is you figure out what is your, you can check it on the web, whatever, what's my average last spring frost date? And you, you put the little X in and that week, and then you back up, you count your weeks back or forward, generally back, to decide when to plant. Ah. So, for example, tomatoes will usually say something like, you know, uh, start these seeds indoors six weeks before the last spring frost. Okay. So once you've come up with your date, count back six weeks and say, oh, that's the week I should plant my tomato seeds. And I think you'll find most seed packages will say something to that effect. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I'm going to give out the numbers out because we have lots of room on the lines. Uh, Toronto number is 416-360-0740 or the toll-free number 1-866-740-4740. Give us a call with your indoor or outdoor gardening question. We will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, I got to tell you, Charlie, that uh, that theme music there gives me spring fever hearing about all those plants, many of which I well, a number of which I have in my garden. Uh, you know, I know I heard the lavender and next door has lupins. I'm all I'm getting all giddy. Uh, yes, giddy is a good word. So listen, just to go back to Wilma's yep. question about petunias, she mentioned that she's got the seeds in the freezer. Uh, Wilma, I would take the seeds out of the freezer. They do need to be stored in a cool, dry location, dark, dry, cool, but not necessarily frozen. So I would get them out of the freezer and it's not too late to grow them. We, we start petunia seeds about 10 weeks before the last spring frost. So I think your timing is good that way. Petunia seeds are tiny, tiny, tiny seeds. So when you're sowing them, be careful that you don't sort of drop a whole bunch of seeds in one small area in your planting uh, container because you'll just end up having to pull most of them out. You want to really just tiny little pinches of individual seeds. Sometimes people will mix tiny seeds with sand. There's that play sand we talked about. Mixed with sand, it's easier to sow. Uh, tiny seeds because it'll disperse them a little better even um, yeah so there's different ways of get, sort of getting the um, seeds out there in a way that separates them um, but yeah I wouldn't hesitate to start those petunias they can be stored for up to five years apparently so the viability mm -hmm. is is still good but I'm not sure if the freezer is the optimal place to have them 
And and how soon would uh, do you figure that she would see whether or not they were surviving? They'd survive the freezer. Well, if she provides a moist media with some heat from below and a little plastic wrap over top, she should see germination within seven to ten days. Okay, so okay. If nothing grows within the for, you know two weeks of providing optimal conditions, then your seeds are toast. Okay, you got it. Okay, let's go to uh, Elaine, who's calling from Chatham, Ontario. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elaine. Thank you so much. Well, we got hit by ice, and uh, we had uh, no power for about 20 hours and about 18 hours of ice falling on everything and a lot of damage to some mature trees in our garden and heartbreaking to see it. Oh, no, that's not nice. That's yeah, we, had, uh, we have a white cedar cluster in the middle of the yard. It's, I'd say, about 80 feet high, and one major section fell on our burning bush, which is about 10 feet in all directions, and flattened it like a pancake. But wow. uh, we, we got the wood off, and it miraculously bounced back, and there's some damage, of course, in the middle, but we'll reshape that, and a white pine, which held so much ice that... Uh, mature branches were just ripping to the ground and damaged a shed, but not the greenhouse. And it was surreal. And then after everything, we had to wait for all the ice to kind of fall off of everything with high winds. So it was Mm. unbelievable to see. And we'll just have to kind of care for the things that survived. But we had an arborist in that miraculously we could get somebody here because almost every Mm. second house had a crew working and yeah. um, in a couple of weeks, we'll see if the white pine can survive. Oh, good it's for you. Yeah, it's very smart. I was going to say, make sure you've got yeah. an arborist or a nice sharp chainsaw and somebody who knows how to use it. <clears throat> and, and when you can do the cleaning up from all that ragged breakage, you want clean cuts. Yes, we hope to do that um, as our temperatures rise and we can get out there and um, we'll we'll turn all those down branches into um, mulch, which the company mulch. will do for us and, and we'll put those to use in the garden. So full circle moment. Okay, good. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. Did you have a question at all? Um, not really. I enjoy all the questions that come up and some of them I'm, 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 prepared for and know the answer, but uh, we have we have four green thumbs here and um, you know we we do uh, what we can and we're members of our horticultural society which I recommend everybody does nice yeah I agree I agree one of the best ways to meet fellow gardeners is through your local work society yeah yeah <laughs> all right we'll keep up the great show okay. everyone thanks. yeah thanks thanks hey, for the so uh, the call there Elaine and uh, wow that's uh, that's a lot to uh to uh, deal to deal with, yeah, that comes well, in like uh, twenty four hours. My goodness, ice storms are just so so hard to to watch to watch the damage and watch the trees peeling down. You know, they talk about like a banana, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know we've had this a couple of times before. I moved here into the county. There was a very bad ice storm. I think it was <clears throat> trying to remember, sort of turn of the century there. Where Kingston got hit so badly, and the parks, the big old trees in the parks were just stripped. And, you know, Halifax has had the same thing, big ice storms. But we do know that with cleanup and proper care, these plants often survive. And, uh, and and you know, five years later, we forget that there was four inches of ice all over everything. Yes. Uh, speaking of care, you often, uh, you often, often mention that it should be a very sharp, clean cut when you're pruning. Why is that? Why is that so important? Because the, the plant will be able to heal itself. 
when it's a ragged, jagged cut, it takes, uh, it doesn't actually heal. It, it rots away. And the rot, of course, will will move in towards the center of the tree or the shrub, whatever it is. And if the plant is healthy enough, it sets up a barrier, like a, like a scab underneath all that rottage. And eventually the rotten stuff drops away and it's all healed. But it's a long, slow process. And you also run the risk of the, the, the fungus, which is causing that rot, to go right into the tree and then start killing it from inside. So cleaning up all that ragged, jagged um, breakage will allow the plant to do its thing, which is almost like forming a scab, like we would in the case of a, a you know, a, a damage to our skin. It's and believe it or not, take it right down to, to your lawn. You know, think of the blades of grass in your lawn. When you're cutting them, you get down on your hands and knees and look really close. And you look after you've mowed. Is it a clean cut that your grass is getting? Or is it all like a pinking shears? Like it's all ragged and jagged. If it's ragged and jagged, sharpen your blades. You don't want that. You want, because again, the grass will be much happier and look better and be greener and thicker and all that important stuff with clean cuts. Okay, makes sense. Okay, have to take our last pause, but we'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back with The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. I'm Dean Holland. And, uh, Charlie, we have uh, we have Heather on the line, who is calling from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Heather. Hello. I'm not only Heather from Toronto, I'm Heather from Riverdale. <laughs> ah, welcome, Heather. Thank you. I thought I'd just call in and let you know that a meeting that Charlie's talking about is going to start at 7 o'clock on May the 8th, and it's only going to be a Zoom meeting this year. We, are, we have a shortage of technical help for this particular meeting. So if anybody is interested, they can find out what the link is by checking us on uh, info at riverdalehorticultural.ca. I'll send you out the link if you do that. Once more, info at riverdalehorticultural.ca. And we're so glad that Charlie's coming to talk to us. Well, on Zoom anyway. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Great. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, and actually, Heather said May the 8th. She meant March the 8th. March the 8th, which is International Women's Day as well. Exactly. It's perfect. Yes, Yes, it is perfect. Now, Charlie, I have a question. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is, as I mentioned before the show, uh, my uh, my in-laws are visiting. And she she walked in the door. She says, I have a problem. I have, she has a pot of paper whites that she's got. And apparently they're quite tall. They're about 15 inches high. She's got them in a south window. Uh, they refuse to bloom. Um, oh. Now, it does sound to me like they might be a bit too wet. And so if, if she's overwatering them, uh, not that I would accuse my mother-in-law of overwatering. Be careful but it does, what you say. Yeah, I know. It does sound very possible that it might be a little bit overwatered. But yeah, they've got these great green stalks, no blooms. Yeah, but I doubt they're overwatered if they're alive, right? Okay. When you overwater yep. bulbs, they just turn to mush. Gotcha. So okay. my question to her would be, has she got them in soil? 
I assume she must. I would think so. Yeah. Could she have buried them deep into the soil? The trick with paperweights is they are a tropical bulb, and you don't even need to put them in soil. Remember your amaryllis growing in gravel? Yeah. Same idea. You could do that with paperweights. You just get a saucer, put a bunch of gravel in the saucer, and sit the bulbs on top of the gravel okay. and put water into the gravel. So, again, it's the water needs to kiss the bottom of the bulb. But the bulb does not need to be underwater. So, or pot of soil, moist soil, sit the bulbs on top of the soil and they will grow. So I'm wondering if she's just buried them, like she planted them like, like a bulb, like a tulip or something, and put them down a couple inches under the soil. And she's getting lots of great leaves and not a lot of great flowers. So gotcha. if she did that, I'd be inclined to pull the whole thing apart, get all that soil away from the bulbs, repot, the, you know, keep them... Obviously, there's roots and stuff growing from those existing bulbs, but just get them up higher onto the surface of the soil, and uh, and they should flower. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Um, I've got an email here from Julia. Uh, Bougainvillea, she's asking about. She says, my Bougainvillea is in a dark, a cool, dark room. I may have watered it twice during the winter. There is no green, uh, but it's starting to bloom. At what point should she cut it back? Right. So good for you. It was smart to put the plants into a cool room, and it was smart to not water. Uh, Bougainvillea, again, tropical plant, uh, wants, I mean, if it lived in the tropics, it would have lots of warmth year-round <clears throat> and lots of sun and lots of humidity, but we don't have that in the winter. So what we tend to do is let our, our Bougainvilleas go pretty dormant in the winter by giving them cooler temperatures, like, you know, 50 Fahrenheit, 10 Celsius kind of temperatures, and not watering really at all. And she mentions she's watered twice all winter. That's like perfect. The one thing that I'm not so happy about is, ha is the darkness. So the plant is still alive. And when it's still alive, to put it into the dark really forces it to, to go completely dormant. And of course, once it goes completely dormant, it can be hard to wake it back up again. So I suggest that she gets it out of the dark uh, and once she gets it out of the dark onto a sunny window, suddenly it's going to use more water because it's going to suddenly start to grow. Only prune as necessary at this time of year when it comes to bougainvillea. Yeah, I mean, if it's really one-sided or it's just really funny-looking plant, you're going to have to do some trimming back. But generally, the time to prune a plant like bougainvillea is in the fall. When we're bringing it in from outside, we're putting it you know, basically into semi-dormancy for the winter, do your pruning back then. Uh, so for now, prune only as necessary, but do get it into some light that also means the temperature is going to go up a bit, which is fine. It's time to wake that plant up. So warmer temperatures, lots of light, and the water will become more obvious, water as necessary. Okay. Uh, last question before we scoot. Are you going to be starting any seeds this week or in the next coming week? Is there anything that you're going to be starting? In, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to do some work on my houseplants. I have a jade plant that is so out of control, and it's just not a pretty thing. So I'm going to just tear the whole thing apart and make about 20 little plants or whatever I come up with. So I'm going to just do some kind of indoor care because I never get around to that stuff in the summer. Okie dokie. Hey, well, you have, you have your work cut out for you. I've got my week cut out. So uh, thank you, Dean. Thank you, Carlos. Couldn't do any of this without the support of you people and, of course, the great callers. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.